You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. We're just excited that you guys are here because this is such a huge issue to discuss. And it's so important, and we're so thankful that you guys took the time to be here tonight and to discuss these important things. I mean, you know, the digital culture of kids is just... It's, it's vital to their growth and their development, and I'm sure you're going to share all kinds of stats and all that, but let me pray really quick, and then, uh, and then we'll jump right in, and we'll welcome Chris McKenna to the stage, all right? So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this evening. I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be here and to have these discussions. Lord, I pray tonight that you would soften our hearts, that you'd open our minds, that you'd make us receptive to what you have for us and for our families moving forward. We pray that you would lead, guide, and direct Chris this evening. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. 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 Welcome, Chris McKenna. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, man. You know, I was going to walk over here with my eyes closed because we were praying, but then I didn't want to fall. So I hope when you walked in that you grabbed one of these note-taking guides. Whether you're a note-taker or not, there's going to be helpful information there. There's some QR codes you can scan to have access to some resources afterwards. Because naturally with this topic, there's always the you go home or you're exercising or later and you go, oh, that's my question. Or, oh, now I need to know that. Or, oh, my kid asked me about that app. And I want you to be able to know how to still be in touch with us. Because I'm a Michigander. I love taking care of my friends here in Michigan. Now, I'm a west side of Michigander, which Michigan's weird. We're like two countries split by 127 in the middle sometimes. It's really strange. But I was born in the Lansing area, went to Western Michigan where I met my wife and she's from Portage down in Kalamazoo. They moved to Grand Rapids. So I'm really boring. Haven't gone far, but blessed to be here tonight. Thank you so much. And great that so many of you from other campuses, you know, that are here to represent because a conversation like this is like ripples that need to go out and need to be in conversations that you start to have on sidelines with other parents because these digital topics have their way of making us feel sometimes like we're the only ones that are struggling with this or your kids love to reinforce this one. You're the only parent who does fill in the blank. You're the only parent who has said, I can't have fill in the blank. You're the only parent who checks my fill in the blank. You're not. <laughs> you are not. And so what often is helpful in the digital age is to find conversations with others. We're really bad at having conversations with other humans right now and just talking about life and sharing and approaching topics more as a community instead of just as an individual family. And like very few other issues that your kids will run into is there the risk of collateral damage from other children like this one? You could have all of your ducks in a row, have everything locked down, figured out, protected, and monitored. And then they hang out with one friend. And there's an iPad that doesn't have a filter on it. Or there's a burner phone that, because we're a country that never throws away any of our Apple devices, although it doesn't have a SIM card, that iPhone 6 in the drawer still works on Wi-Fi, right? These sort of topics. Now, back in 2019, I had the opportunity to testify in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee where they approved Supreme Court justices. It was a fascinating, terrifying, and wonderful experience. And as a part of my opening testimony, I said to the senators that were there, 
like no other time in history do our young people have the potential to radically change the trajectory of each other's lives so easily as they do today. We live in a time where it's not only difficult to be a parent, or raise your hand, are there any grandparents in the room, right? It's not only difficult to be a parent or a grandparent. What about an educator? Are you a teacher? Any teachers in the room, right? God bless teachers, right? What about, are you an aunt? Raise your hand, aunts. Are you an uncle? Raise your hand, uncle, right? All of those roles, I believe, are more difficult today than when they were, when I was growing up back in the 1980s. But, but, I believe that it's even more difficult to be a kid. Childhood is more difficult today than when we were children. Now, that's a generalization. Some of you may have had a horrible and very difficult childhood. I'm not trying to minimize or say that that's not your story or your reality. But I believe in general, the risk of growing up today is higher when it comes to trauma and missteps and opportunities to radically change my life today than back in the 1980s when I was running around Chandler Estates in little old Bath, Michigan. It's just different today. And so there's a couple of outcomes that I want from this conversation. Number one, none of you are permitted after this conversation here tonight to go home and smash their devices. Sometimes the enemy can take a conversation like this and plant seeds of fear that often lead to horrible parenting. <laughs> I don't want that to be the posture of our parenting. Because let's be honest, they'll figure out another way. That's just gonna wreck trust and you're gonna turn them into a little digital ninja and they still win. The next thing that I hope is an outcome from tonight is that you have more empathy for what it's like to be them today. That our posture when we approach them whether they're doing right things or wrong things online is one of, I'm curious, as opposed to I condemn or I'm disappointed or I can't believe you did that. Okay, so those are just a couple of things. Now there's a whole other, lot of other things that I hope happen that you learn more about hardware and software and some of these tactical things that yeah, that's gonna happen too, I hope it does. So get those pens out and ready to go and let's jump into the digital culture of kids. There will be a time for some Q&A at the end. And so if you got questions that pop up, write it down and we'll get to ask those towards the end and we'll do those live. And then I'll probably just hang out because you know, I've got a nice easy ride home, west on 96, but I'll hang out here for a little while afterwards for any of those more personal questions that you might have that you just wanna come up and ask. We'll do some of that too. So, and for my friends in Traverse City, whenever you're gonna watch this, I really hope you feel invited to reach out to me also. Again, go Michigan. In fact, depending on the timing of when you watch this, I'm gonna be at the Opera House in downtown Traverse City speaking on this same topic on October 18th. So if you see this before then, come again and see me there. But really wanna be a resource for the entire Kensington family of churches, wherever you might be. That note-taking guide that you have has various ways to stay in touch with us. If you have a question after the fact, you can submit it through our website and that'll land in Michelle's inbox, who's my assistant. Her official title for really good reasons is the executive master of details because that is exactly what she is and she is a wizard at it. So submitting those questions through our website, whatever they are, we'll land with her. She'll send it to me or Doug or somebody else from the team and whatever campus you're from, we will get back to you on that. Shall we go? Shall we go? All right, let's do this. Well, at Protect Young Eyes, you can see our various digital places. I'll talk about those more later. 
but there's a statement, right? Like the elevator statement. If I get 30 seconds with you and you ask me, what are you all about? Why do you do what you do? That statement on the left is that. Parents are often afraid of what their kids might experience online. Amen? Is that true? Often afraid of what could happen to them online. Therefore, at Protect Young Eyes, we have some activities that try to address that reality. Research, education, and advocacy. You will be the beneficiaries of the education tonight that come out of our research. I'll talk a minute about our advocacy here in just a minute. By doing that, we have practical solutions. We want it to be understandable. You don't need a tech degree, I hope, to figure out how to raise your young people in a digital age. Let me just be really honest with all of you. I'm not a tech person. That's a horrible way to start an internet safety presentation. You're like, I'm out of here. The pizza was great, but this guy sucks. I'm out of here, right? No, but I want every one of you, regardless of your digital IQ, to feel as though you have digital parenting or digital grandparenting superpowers that are available to you. Because here's what I know. Regardless of what you know about technology, God has uniquely ordained you to lead your children in the digital age. You can do this. We often believe the lie that we have to lead with tech knowledge and understanding the bits and the bytes and the cords and the cables to do this. I'm telling you, lose if you don't lead with relationship. Lead with relationship. Lead with connection. And sprinkle in a little bit of tech. Amen, you'll do it. You'll be fine. The real purpose of tonight is to orient you around this framework, which is a relational framework. So I just wanted to spell all of those kind of lies and clouds and burdens you might feel around technology and go, none of the tech stuff that actually freaks you out is really what makes the difference when it comes to leading young people in the digital age today. We wanna keep it practical. We constantly hear from people all over the world that what differentiates us is we finally made it so they could understand it. Because I approach it from a, I'm not a tech guy perspective. I'm a CPA from Western Michigan who worked at Ernst & Young for 12 years, who the Lord called out into local ministry, into junior high ministry, because being a CPA is so much like junior high ministry. That is God's sense of professional humor. And then for the last six years, if you've heard of software called Covenant Eyes, maybe, anti-pornography software, I'm the digital marketing director at Covenant Eyes, I have a team of nine individuals who put out all of our outward-facing content, blogs, social media, email, all of that stuff, along with what I do with Protect Young Eyes. That is not a path I ever expected to be on, but it allows me to keep it practical, keep it understandable, keep it so that we all can figure this out. And when you have those practical solutions, what happens? You often have a family that is prepared, balanced, and protected. Those words were very intentionally chosen. And the sequence of those words was actually very intentional. Because if you only lead with protection, that's a fear-based approach to parenting that often causes us to bubble wrap our kids and not prepare them for the digital age. Because Lord willing, they're gonna move out of the house at some point, they need to be prepared. So let's prepare them with balance because that's a tension that we all feel. How many adults raise your hand if you struggle with digital balance sometimes, right? That is not a teen alone issue, right? So may we have families, may we be humans, whether you're four, 14, or 40, that are all three of those, prepared, balanced, and protected. 
Because let me tell you, filters aren't just good for their eyes. They're also pretty good for our eyes too. We'll unpack that a little bit more, okay? So that's about us. Here's my fam that God has blessed me with. Andrea and I have 23 years together. We got married in November of 1999. We were both CPAs at the time. I was at ENY, she was at Arthur Anderson, which we all know went kaboom. But because we were CPAs, that meant we couldn't take any vacation during busy season from January 1st to March 31st, where they just beat the heck out of you at work for like three straight months. Plus, we were approaching Y2K when we all thought the world was gonna explode, so everyone was hoarding light bulbs and duct tape. It was a really weird time. And I was like, honey, I am not leaving the earth in some explosion at Y2K or waiting until April 1st past busy season without marrying you. Let's get this done. So we got married in November of 99 and have four awesome kids. Lauren, who's 17. I have twins, Cole and Grant, who are 12. And then Blake, who is 10. Your first opportunity for participation is to tell me, who are my twins? There are... You get to use three different words, table, braces, and glasses. Somebody raise your hand and give me two of those that you think are the twins. Yes, ma'am in the back. Hi, I'm Chris. You are? No, you, yeah. The, hi, Amber. Who do you think are the twins? Glasses and table. They're blonde, right? No, you're wrong. That's, that's not correct. Who has a guess? Yes, on the side there. What do you think? Yes. Well, so I'll tell you right now, glasses isn't one of the twins at all, right? My twins are table and braces, 12 years old. Grant was born with Down syndrome two minutes after his twin Cole, who does not have Down syndrome. 12 years later, my mind is still a little blown by that reality. I had no idea it was even possible. How many of you are going, I didn't have any idea that was possible? Yeah, me too, 12 years later, but two different eggs, God can do whatever he wants, and God did exactly whatever he wanted. <laughs> What's really hilarious about this picture in 12 years of hindsight is there's five years between Lauren and the twins and then 19 very short sleepless months between twins and Blake. We know, he knows this. He, we've labeled him the bonus baby. He calls himself the bonus baby. He knows this. Like this is his adjective and he embraces it. I'm a bonus. Like, dude, you are all kinds of bonus, man. 19 months was not our... You know, it's not our objective. And what's really interesting is I know that I was alive between 2010 and 2012. I just don't remember any of it, right? If you have kids close together, you know what I'm talking about. And the irony in that is I was awake for all of it. So I should have vivid memories of those two years of my life, yet I got nothing. And what's so funny about that picture is we honestly, we only thought Lauren was going to, we really thought we were gonna have an only child. Like we had a lot of struggles and issues and we had a pastor of ours who prayed. I kid you not, he's a friend of mine to this day and I'm still like, mm. he prayed for a double portion of blessing on us at one small group meeting. <laughs> and then we got three. So <laughs> that's multiplication in heaven, I guess. But if you're a 17 year old girl whose dad is the head of an internet safety organization, that really stinks. Really, it does. They're very gracious with me. Dad, the Wi-Fi is not working again. Oh, are you testing another router? Yes, <laughs> right? That's just the world that they live in. But we talk about everything. We are open and honest about it all. I'll share some stories about raising them and things I've done well and things that I haven't. Because in the digital age, if we don't talk to them, then Dr. TikTok will. And he has pretty consistent ways of getting to our children. 
Are you the default search engine for your children? Do you have enough authority? Are you persistent and consistent enough to be their search engine? Something to think about, okay? Now, I love to run. It keeps me sane. I don't run with headphones. I just run on two-lane country roads out in Bath. That keeps me sane because I deal with a lot of junk sometimes online. This is a 200-mile relay I did with five of my friends out west last August. It was COVID. We had to run. That's all you could do, right? And so we started at the top of Mount Hood out in Oregon, the largest relay in the country, the Hood to Coast, about 900 teams. We finished uh, 90th out of the 900 teams. We were the only six-person team, 28 hours all the way to the Pacific Ocean where we soaked our very tired legs in the cold water. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Mount Hood. Raise your hand if you have seen the movie The Shining with Jack Nicholson. Okay, you know the hotel in The Shining? It's there behind that start line on Mount Hood. And our team captain, I didn't know this, Matt. He's a friend of mine. At least he was. He still is. I'm kidding. We got there, and I didn't know this. He booked us at that hotel to stay there the night before the race. I didn't sleep all night. I'm like, is there some kid coming down the hall on a tricycle? Like, I'm toast, right? It was a horrible night's sleep before the race, right? So anyway, that's what I enjoy doing. Now, just in case you think I do everything right in the digital age, I showed up at a conference one time for my son Blake in kindergarten, and this is what he wrote in his kindergarten journal. Proof to me that you can't protect your kids from all media influence. Love the spelling. Yesterday, I watched Duck Dynasty. The people were doing karate. The people were doing boxing. The kids were punching and kicking Willie in the nuts. It was rock and roll. (laughs) What do you do with that? I mean, it's kindergarten. What do you do? Well, it proved to me that no matter what I do, I cannot protect my kids from all digital influence. May this be a lesson to you that you cannot protect your kids from all digital influences that are out there because they're still gonna get something they shouldn't out of Duck Dynasty and write down something they shouldn't at school, okay? So that's where we are. Now, there's a lot of reasons why we do what we do. I've already explained some of those. But we have the opportunity to partner with some fabulous organizations that I really, really wish to God didn't have to exist, but they do. NCMEC is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. It's the global clearinghouse for child sexual abuse material that is discovered online by organizations and individuals. Now, I used a very specific term there, child sexual abuse material formerly known as child pornography, because we have decided in the world of child advocacy that it's better to describe the trauma than it is to describe the porn. Child sexual abuse material. And when you look at the numbers, right, as a CPA, I like to make sense of the world through numbers. The numbers behind the quantity of sexual material that abuses children online is almost incomprehensible. When you look at the trend line here, right? So in 2021, NCMEC received 29.3 million reports of online sexual exploitation. You can see how far that's gone up over the past three years. Now in those 29.3 million reports, there were over 84 million images, videos, and individual files. And so what NCMEC does is it receives these reports from people like you, and then they process them and they send them out to ICAC units. Every state in the United States has an ICAC, multiple ICAC units. It stands for Internet Crimes Against Children. They're state police task forces, and we work with them and do trainings with them. They're fabulous people on the tip of the spear of some of the worst evil you can imagine, and they just can't keep up. It's more content than any police force 
in any state can keep up with. And the reason for that is, friends, we have an imbalance. I call it the inverse triangle problem, right, when it comes to responsibility. We have a situation right now in the digital age where most all of the responsibility for protecting young people online is placed on you and your children. And those who have the greatest power and influence, big tech and our legislators, aren't doing much. In fact, the last law that was passed here in the United States that protects children online is the Children's Online Privacy and Protection Act, which set age 13 as when organizations could market to children, and that was passed in 1999, four years before MySpace. Who remembers that? Owned by Justin Timberlake, I think still today. Strange, JT, why? You ruined it. But my point is, that was set as a barrier for marketing, that you couldn't target market by collecting PII, personally identifiable information from people in the United States who are younger than age 13. Now, what unfortunately has happened is we have misinterpreted that as the digital age of adulthood when children are entitled to have social media. It was never intended to be a line of permission for when we expose children to these social media platforms. And yet that's what we have interpreted it to be. Now, if you ask Senator Markey, who is still a senator today from the state of Massachusetts, who helped pass COPA back in 1999, he will tell you that age 13 was actually a concession. He wanted it age 15, but had it to concede down to age 13 because of pressure from organizations that wanted to market to children. Friends, if age 13 was deemed a concession based on digital risk in 1999, what should the age be today? Two weeks ago in a presentation, I had a mom in the back yell, 82. <laughs> okay, I get it. Let's just agree that there are digital risks that exist today that we didn't even conceive, right? Back in 1999. So we have this imbalance. Now, don't misunderstand me for a minute. I am not interested in the government passing laws that tell me how to parent my children. But there should be barriers around evil that make it so that even good parents who are doing good things to protect their children don't still have good, amazing children who stumble into horrible places. Barriers that allow me to still parent with freedom, yet still remove egregious harm from childhood. And we just simply don't have that today. So that's the advocacy side of what we do. We work at multiple levels. This was the hearing. <laughs> it was a fabulous experience. My dad was so excited. I love my parents. He was so excited that I was gonna get to go and testify. He's that one third of a man that you see there over my shoulder, kind of on the side there. When he heard I was going to testify, he goes, can I go? I'll carry your bags. And he did. It was great having my dad carry my bags. That was awesome. And when the hearing got done and I'm just sort of sitting in the room and I just, shake, I just said, uh, you know, I shook hands with, Senator Cruz and Senator Graham and others, just it was all done. And I'm just sitting there at the table and there's all this water and it says the U.S. Senate on it and pads of paper and pens and pencils that all say the U.S. Senate. And I'm like, you know what? I'm never gonna be here again. So they all left the room and I took it all. <laughs> In my office right now, I have a bottle of Senate water. <laughs> but as a runner, I don't drink it because it just slows you down. See what I did there? No, I'm kidding. Um, we also were... <laughs> 
That was like a grenade. That was something Sam would say, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, sorry, where are you at? Okay. <laughs> um, we work at the state level. We love working at all the different levels, right? Passing laws, both at state. Um, we work with organizations. We worked with Snapchat most recently to help finally get parental controls released in that app 11 years later. So we're sought after as that kind of tech expert to give counsel because they know that we listen to you. It amazes me how disconnected these organizations that are building apps that are used by children know so little about the families that are actually using them. So those are places that we want to help. All right. I was recently, like every summer and constantly throughout the year, we are updating our presentations. These are all brand new. We refresh them all the time. We're really proud of that, keeping them fresh and up to date. Now, I'm sure many of you are familiar with Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. These are God's instructions to the Israelites when they're saying, how do we parent? How do we lead our kids? And God says through Moses, well, let me tell you how. And he gives them these instructions. And you've read them, I'm sure, I've read them multiple times, but there was something different about reading them this summer that compelled me to put them in our presentations. I wanna read these verses to you. From the NIV translation, it says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This is God telling the Israelites how to parent their children. How can you ensure that your children know me? These are the instructions he gave them. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And what struck me when I was reading these words this summer was it's almost as if TikTok knows these verses. TikTok has figured out how to get to the hearts of our children. I want you to read with me Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 through the lens of TikTok for just a minute or Snapchat or YouTube or Instagram, whatever app you want. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently like an algorithm to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, always on your devices. You shall walk by the way, always with your device. And when you lie down on your phone, when you go to bed, and when you rise because you use it as an alarm clock, checking the news and scrolling first thing, bind them as a sign on your hand all the time. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Friends, are we doing a better job than the algorithm at getting to the hearts of our children? Maybe you've seen the documentary Childhood 2.0. If you haven't had a chance to, I'd recommend it. It's free, you can watch it on YouTube. Been viewed over two million times. I had the blessed opportunity to be a part of that with Bark, a software organization that I'll talk about in just a minute. And one of my lines in there is, if for the things we care about in the digital age, if our kids aren't finishing our sentences or rolling our, their eyes at us when we say it to them, then you're not saying it enough. Are you more persistent than the tech? That's what I want our posture to be in the digital age. And I think that's kind of the spirit of what 
God's instructions here are make it persistent all the time, all the places, little drips of your instructions in their lives all the time so they know your posture long before they get TikTok's version of identity or gender or status or whatever, influence, whatever it is, okay? All right, yes, we do all the spiritual things and we're church people, we're good at spiritual things and we pray for our kids, but if all we do is pray for our kids and we forget the practical side of things, the little conversations, the routers and some of those little practical things, then I think we can still run the risk of having a kid who is addicted to porn by age 16. We can't just pray away digital risk. We must pray away digital risk and the practical. Those two things need to work together, all right? So our position on smartphones and social media, just to kind of draw a line. Sometimes people want a, a, a position on things, right? A statement of faith. They want that on the website, right? Here's our statement when it comes to a couple of really important questions around smartphones and social media. I believe that kids should wait until high school, age 15, before having a smartphone. And I believe that after seven years of being a junior high youth pastor, because I can tell you beyond any doubt that middle school already has enough drama. And I want to do whatever I can to preserve the innocence, the fabulous fragility of the middle school years. There is nothing like being a middle schooler. It is amazing and chaotic and awful and amazing all at the same time, right? If you remember it. And yet this is when we drop all this complicated technology into their lives. And the reason I say age 15 is because I also want kids to get past the beginning of their freshman year without tech. I want their transitions to be more relational than they are technical. So that their entry into high school is based on more about talking to people than it is seeing people. I want them to be masters of the face-to-face -face before they're masters of the screen-to-screen -screen when it comes to relationships. So that's why we say age 15, because I want to get to the end of that freshman year, if at all possible. And that's also for social media. So both of those, those are our positions, because no middle school child is a better version of themselves emotionally, spiritually, or relationally because of the presence of social media in their lives. I'll die on that hill. Whenever I post this online, I always get a lot of comments. It stirs up reactions on both sides, right? Because I know for some of you, that ship has already sailed. And I am not here to make you feel more guilty about your parenting in any way. Because whether you've said no, slow, or go, there are definitely things that we can do to enter relationally into the lives of our young people. And the Digital Trust Framework will show you how to do that. This is a no shame zone. I understand that during COVID, for some of you that accelerated some decisions when it came to technology that you maybe weren't ready for. Why? Because that was the only way that kids could connect with others. I get that. I'm empathetic towards that. But I also want to realize that there was risk attached to that decision. And I want to make sure we've done things to mitigate that risk. Remember, you're not allowed to take it away when you get home tonight. You promised me that. How are you going to enter into that, though, and come alongside them while they've got it? And instead of seeing it as a me versus you kind of transaction, it's me with you, me for you. I want to help you in this. All right, so we're going to jump into the digital trust framework. This is where you can pull out your note-taking guide. And on the front page there, you've got a circle that is on the front, kind of middle on the left-hand side there. 
Now, where does this come from? This digital trust framework that you see up on the screen comes from seven years and tens of thousands of conversations and talking to parents and asking them in families who tend to have young people who use technology in a good God-honoring way, what do they have in common? When I was at Ernst & Young, I was a risk mitigator. That was my job. I would go into organizations that were dealing with something at the time that was called Sarbanes-Oxley. When Enron blew up, companies had to implement all these new laws and rules. And it was all about mitigating risk around their financial reporting. So I would come in and we do this risk assessment. We do a ton of interviews and we come out with this report of areas where they had to do a better job of mitigating business risk. So for me, most things in life, professionally and personally, are assessing risk and doing whatever I can to mitigate it to a place where I can accept it. Kids are the same way. We don't wanna mitigate all risk around them because that just turns them into a bunch of unresilient, can't handle toughness in the world kind of kids, and that's not what I want either, amen? All right, I want them to know how to struggle because in this world, you will have trouble, <laughs> abundant at times. And I want them to be able to handle that and have some toughness around that because they've experienced some struggle and have struggled through it. But at the same time, there are egregious things I don't ever want to have happen to my children. So I'm always trying to balance life experience with mitigation. And I think the digital trust framework can help us do that. These five phrases, copy me, co-play, curiosity, conversation, and coaching, because that's the sweet spot where we build digital trust. And that's what I want. That's what I want for us. I don't want us on that far side where it says spying helicopter, right? Your left side, spying helicopter, fear and control. Because then we just annoy our kids and we compel them to go do all the things we don't want them to do. And they're really good at it. And yes, you read up there correctly. I do not want you to spy on your children. You are not permitted to spy on your children online. Now, some of you would say, Chris, are you saying I can't check my kid's phone? That's not what I said. I absolutely want them to know that you are checking their phone. Why? Because it's your phone. Aren't you an amazingly kind and benevolent parent that you allow your 15-year-old child to use this device which belongs to you in the house while they live with you? Aren't you good and gracious and amazing to allow them to do that? An amazing daughter of mine, I'm gonna be involved in this device because anything that is a risk to you and your well-being and your heart is something that I'm gonna be a part of. What kind of father would I be if every time I put this device in your hands and I'm letting 100 million people into your life, what kind of father would I be if I didn't come alongside you and be involved in that? Honey, I know I can trust you, but I'm involved not because of what you might do, but because of what they might do to you. So you better believe I'm gonna be checking your phone and I'll tell you when. In fact, we're gonna share the same six digit passcode on our iPhone because I've got nothing to hide just like you don't either. These are the sort of conversations that I want us to have. So no spying, but absolutely check your phone while they're in your house. I'll be honest, in seven years of doing this, there have been two times where I have given parents permission to spy on their children, but there were both times where the children were in great harm, either to themselves because of a mental illness or to others because of some extreme problems. That's the only two times in seven years, and I'm guessing that those situations don't describe many of you that are going to be watching this, either here or in Traverse City, okay? 
I also don't want us on the other side where we're passive and silent and ignorant and apathetic because these are not neutral technologies. I sometimes hear people say, oh, technology is neutral. And I go, what technology are you using? Because it's a little creepy right now that Alexa is maybe listening to me because all of a sudden I'm getting ads for stuff that I just said to my wife and that's weirding me out. These are not neutral technologies. They are pursuing us and targeting us and marketing us and selling our data a thousand ways till Tuesday every single day so they can craft themselves into the most addictive form of them to tap in to you. There is nothing neutral about that in my book. (laughs) So we don't just push our kids down hills and we teach them how to ride a bike, do we? That's great for YouTube. And some videos I used to watch on MTV years ago with a name I'm not gonna say up here on the stage, but for our kids, we do all kinds of stuff to prepare them just to ride a bicycle with helmets and knee pads and grassy surfaces and training wheels. And this is the approach in the digital age. We train and we teach because these are not neutral technologies. And I want them to learn how to use them well. So I wanna jump into each of these so that we can unpack each of these phrases a little bit more, all right? Let's start with copy me a phrase that is explained by what you see underneath it, right? Would you want them to use their technology just like you? Just like you, where you use it, how you use it, and what you use it for. There's a very intentional order to these words. They start with us. We have to look in the mirror and ask, how are we using our technology? A friend of mine who sadly passed away during COVID at the young age of 40, Colin Karchner, He did talks like this too, great guy. He used to say this. He said, showing your kids you love them is 2% effort and 98% putting your phone down, right? An article that came out, not scientific, but this is a woman who does therapy with young people, children who are learning how to read and write, and she's noticed a delay. If you're in education, I'm sure you can relate to this. There's this delay in certain learning of young people today. And this therapist hypothesizes, this is not scientific, but she hypothesizes that adult screen time is getting in the way of childhood development. And she calls our phones the new secondhand smoke. That phrase is kind of an ouch, right? Because there's a lot more going on than just peekaboo when you play peekaboo with your kids. That interaction with our children is teaching them all kinds of things about interacting with human beings and neurological development. And when we're constantly interrupting that development, because when my mom used to sit next to me in the pediatrician's office, there was nothing to do other than read good housekeeping or take care of us and talk to us and put up with us. There was a lot of interaction going on and now we're all on our stuff. We're not interacting with each other anymore. And she hypothesizes that that is one of many complicated factors that is delaying certain aspects of childhood development. I think it's an interesting hypothesis because all of us as human beings, we go through four primary stages of our self coming online. Four versions of self. The first version of self, and we do a whole 90 minute presentation just related to this sort of topic, but I'm gonna give you like the 90 second version of it. The first version of self is our body. It's all we have when we're born. We poop, we pee, we eat, that's it. And so our body looks for affirmation and acceptance from the other humans around us, our parents or our guardians or our grandparents. Are they going to take care of my body? And if they do, then I feel loved. It's all you got. And if it's cared for, you feel confident and secure. 
The next self that comes online are our emotions. Have you ever been in the room when a baby smiles for the first time? It's like everything stops. Really sophisticated, strong people become blubbering fools. Right? When a baby smiles. It's almost as if we're, and I believe this, we are biologically tuned by God to affirm those emotions in a child and smile back and let them know that they're okay. There is so much power. Even mean people smile at babies. They can't help themselves, am I right? You can be in a horrible mood and you're like, oh, and then you feel better. But that baby's self, their emotions, they need that affirmation that they're okay. And if they get it, that matters. The next self that comes online are our words. And even though our children don't understand most of what we say to them when they're little, that doesn't stop us from showering them with a thousand words a minute while they're children, right? Again, I believe we're biologically tuned to shower our children with words so that their words find meaning in ours. And you see children when they see something that they love and they're excited about, and it's like, plain, 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 like yanking on your coat. And as soon as you acknowledge, yeah, that's a plane, they calm right down because their words are looking for affirmation from you that they're okay. The final version of self is our identity. Questions about do I belong and what's my meaning in life and all these big questions that tweens and teens start to ask. And this is a critical question. Now, when you were all growing up, at least most of you who are age 30 and above, there were very few mirrors that were answering that question for you. You were asking it and mirrors were giving it back to you. When I was growing up in the 1980s, it was family, community, friends, church, MTV maybe. There were only a few things that were trying to answer this question for me. And most of them loved and cared for me. Compare that to today. We have dropped our children in front of 10,000 mirrors called influencers, accounts, TikTok, YouTube, videos, Google, Instagram, Snapchat, during one of the most developmentally critical times in their human existence. No wonder they're so confused that they don't know who they are, that gender moves all over the place. No wonder these things are what they struggle with because they have 10,000 answers for some of life's most important questions. Friends, let me tell you, if those things existed when we were 14, we'd have all the exact same struggles that they are today. Teen brains aren't any different. It's just what we have given them that's different, right? And you can see this play out in a lot of different ways. The reason I showed you that slide before that, just to show sort of the significance of our influence in their lives, that they're looking to us for affirmation throughout childhood. And they're even watching us and how we use our phones. And the still face experiment is a fascinating thing to watch on YouTube where they show moms who interrupt that face-to-face -face contact with their child. It could be anything, but in this case, it's a smartphone. And you see the stress and the anxiety where the child's like trying to get mom's attention and eye-to-eye -eye contact and the phone is just in the way, right? And when you look at screen time studies, which is a whole separate conversation, if you wanna ask me about that later around what's the right amount of screen time, or maybe I've just given you a question to ask during the Q&A, I'm not gonna answer it now, but when you look at all the studies, whether it's from pediatric societies, or the World Health Organization, 
They all have three things in common. Number one, they say no sedentary screen time between ages zero and two. In other words, no digital pacifiers. Wait as long as possible and possibly wait until age five for a significant amount of screen time, if at all possible, because there's so much developmentally that's going on. Number two, they say less is always best. There is no study on earth that says if your kid plays outside all the time, they're going to suck at life. <laughs> and that they're going to get a worse job, that they're going to not get into the right college, and that they're going to fail in some way. But the marketing has kind of made us believe that. They'll be fine. We don't teach them to drive until 16, and somehow they figure out that really complicated, risky, scary thing. They'll be fine. But the last thing, and this is why it's important in this section of Copy Me, is how adults use technology is a huge indicator of how they will use technology. Can they watch you and copy you? One of the things that we started talking about, especially during lockdown time, was what we called the toxic trio. That whether you're age four, 14, or 40, if you have technology alongside boredom, darkness, and bedroom, that you put yourself in what my Catholic friends would call the near occasion of sin, in a tempting situation. So in other words, if you've told them that they can't have their devices in their room at night, then you've got to find something other than watching ESPN, fantasy football, FanDuel, or Candy Crush before you go to bed. If you've told them that they can't use their iPhone as an alarm clock, then you can't either. Are you leading the way? Because I will tell you that the toxic trio is detrimental to us too. As a guy who struggled with pornography for years, I can tell you there's a lot of things after 10 o'clock when everybody's sleeping that all of a sudden feel like a great idea. Are you leading the way? Often on Instagram and on Facebook, I think we put them on YouTube too, I can't remember. We do these little 60 and 90 second snippets of tips so I want to play this one for you that unpacks a couple of other tenets of Copy Me around announcing our intentions and post with permission. Post with permission is simply, do you ask your children before you post pictures of them online? Do they have your consent? It's a really important question. I want my kids to understand from a very young age that digital photos are significant. I want them to value digital photos of themselves and others. And that starts by me valuing digital photos of them. Let me play the video. Maybe you've seen me post recently about our Delay is the Way campaign, which is best summarized by our digital trust framework. Friends, we build bridges of digital trust between us and our kids one brick at a time, slowly and intentionally. The first part of digital trust is copy me. Would you want them using their technology just like you, where you use it and how you use it? Three words to help you think about copy me. Number one, modeling. Friends, if a filter is good for their phone, then it's probably good for yours. If they can't have tech in their room, then you shouldn't have it in your room either. Number two, announcing, telling them your intentions. I'm gonna take this call, but that'll be done and get right back with you. And then number three, asking. This is what I call the post with permission rule. In other words, if you're gonna take a picture and post it of your kids online, then ask their permission, get their consent. There you go. Copy me, friends. That's the first part of digital trust because delay is the way is not a no tech strategy. It's a slow tech strategy. All right, because in Ephesians 6.4, it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. I think if we constantly have different rules than they do, we exasperate our children. We decrease our credibility. 
Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In other words, most of the things that are good for them are probably good for us. Probably. All right, so that's copy me. Let's jump into co-play. Shoulder-to-shoulder activities open up bridges of conversation in connection with our children. Understanding how your kids use technology is a wonderful window into their heart. In other words, for every app they're using, you should also be using it. For every game that they like to play, you should be playing it too. I don't care if you're horrible at it. I want you to do technology with them. I have no idea why kids like watching other kids unwrap toys on YouTube. I think it's mind-numbing. But if that's your kid's jam, then it's your jam too. I don't know why they like watching pictures of cats running into closed screen doors. But if that's what they like to watch, then it's your thing too. I have no idea why my son Blake likes watching hydraulic presses that smash random objects, like transmissions and bowling balls. Actually, it's strangely satisfying. (laughs) Gotta be honest. And sitting down and watching it with him is great. Because from a very young age, I want my children to know that technology with my parents is okay long before the issues get a lot harder. I want them to do tech with you. Now, I did say that, yeah, I want you to game with your kids. If your kids are gamers, then you better be too. Play them with them, no matter how bad you are. Sometimes parents have a lot of questions about gaming. So I'm just gonna give you a little snippet of some of the things that we believe in related to gaming if you have a child who's a gamer. Number one, understand that when it comes to games, it's brain against the game not kid against you. Here's what I mean by that. If every time your child turns into an alter rage-filled version of themselves, every time you take the game away, that should be a signal. And that's not personal against you. In fact, that's exactly what that game is designed to do. And I think when you realize that this is them against the game and their brain is having an adverse reaction to the game, it depersonalizes it and allows you to approach them with more empathy instead of overreacting because you think they're mad at you. If your child blows up when you take the game away, that is probably not their fault. In the words of an author, Sherry Turkle, fabulous. You've got to watch her TED Talk. You've got to watch it. She said, that is a perfectly predictable response to a perfectly tuned machine. That's exactly what it's designed to do. Sherry Turkle, S-H-E-R-R-Y-T-U-R-K-L-E. Her TED Talk from 10 years ago predicted us today. It was prophetic, unbelievable. Love her stuff. But I want us to realize that, that if that's the way that our kids respond, don't take it personally. And I think that allows us to approach them with a lot more understanding and empathy as their parent and go, whoa, okay. Wow, that game is really affecting you. I wanna talk about that, hun. I'm not mad. Settle down, right? Also follow the rating. Ratings matter. If your kid is 12, don't give them a 17 plus game. If your kid is six, don't give them a nine plus game. Follow the rating. I don't want them to believe from a very young age that what rules exist online don't matter. And I think that's what that starts to seed inside of them. Number three, beware of chat. Almost all games have a chat feature. Why? Because even game companies know that if you connect humans with other humans and create a relationship, they like it. Go figure, that kind of sounds like church, right? They've figured this stuff out. They know that. 
Make a plan and stick to it. And then finally know your kid, which circles back to brain against the game. Because if your kid constantly overreacts when you take the game away, know your kid to go, wait a minute, maybe you have a middle part of your brain and an amygdala that's a little oversensitive to certain games and that probably means I need to have you play less of it, right? Know your kid. Because not every kid reacts to games the same way. My Blake is gonna react differently to Super Smash Brothers than yours. They're not all the same. Now, you talk about extreme co-play. This is right at the beginning of lockdown period where I didn't have an at-home office. My office was a lazy boy in the corner of my bedroom on a TV tray, right? And my son, Blake, loves being with me. And he's like, Dad, can I hang out with you in your office? I'm like, dude, have you seen my office? It's two TV trays adjacent to each other and a lazy boy in our, in our bedroom. He's like, I don't care. And so he saddled up next to me with this switch. I'm right in the middle of a Zoom call, probably talking about porn or something at Covenant Eyes. And here he is playing Super Smash Brothers next to me with his knees in my ribs. Like, this is extreme co-play. I don't know why. I was really hungry for chocolate that day. Do you see the package of Hershey bars right there? I... Whatever I was dealing with, it was stressful. I just was mowing down the chocolate. But I love this picture now three years later because to this day, now that I have a home office, I intentionally have a couch in my office because I want my kids to hang out with me. All the iPads, Chromebooks, all of our devices sit on a station, like a, a rack in my office. And if they wanna use them, they have to ask me and they get to play them on my couch in my office. I want them just around me when they're with technology as long as possible. That's co-play, okay? I'm gonna play another one of these little videos because a really important part of co-play, which I alluded to earlier with my little, aren't I an amazingly kind, benevolent parent, is this idea of co-ownership. Because if you are a minor in my house, every internet connected device is co-owned by this guy. That's a big part of co-play, co-ownership. It's all mine, <laughs> okay? Watch this. From a very young age, I want our kids to know that every internet-connected device is co-owned. That means when they're little kids, we don't buy them their devices. We buy devices that we let them use. For your tween son or daughter, maybe you get them a hot pink Amazon Kindle, you name the Kindle Dad's and Lauren's Kindle so that she knows there's nothing to hide. Technology is a we activity and not just a me activity. When your son or daughter is ready for a smartphone, aren't I an amazingly kind, benevolent parent that I'm letting you use this device while you're here in the house? And even if you've decided to pay for it yourself, whenever we have something that powerful here in the house, we're gonna figure out together how I can still be involved. Because whether you are four, 14, or 40, one-on-one -on -one with the internet, we eventually all lose. And trust me, that conversation with your teen son or daughter is a whole lot easier if you plant the seed early. We do tech together. So that is co-play. And this is usually where I pause for questions, but not today because we have those at the end. But if we wanna take just a quick, you wanna stand up, shake it off, give somebody a high five, go ahead, do that. Stand up, take a little break. This is a lot of stuff. I see some stretching. I saw a few yawns. That's all right, I get it. Okay, this is church intermission time, okay? High fives, yes, I see Jesse giving some high fives, some energetic high fives, amen, brother, okay? I am not dancing, no matter what Sam says to me, I am not, I am not doing that. Good, all right. Good deal. Cool, okay. You good, Jesse? You good? <laughs> 
You're just like waving, hey, 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 for, oh, hey. Yeah, you just, you can't help it. You're popular, right? Paparazzi everywhere. I know. It's hard, man. It's hard living that famous life. Cool. I want to do a little quiz with you, my friends. There are seven apps up on the screen. I want everybody older than age 20 to participate me for just a minute because under 20, you have an unfair advantage because you're just smarter than we are. I want you to hold up with your fingers, right, the number of fingers that represent the number of apps so you can tell me what they are and their name. How do they work and their name? You can't just know the name because, well, be real is be real. You have to tell me the name of it and how it works. How many fingers? Well, I do see a few sevens, okay? I see some no shame threes and twos. That's all right, we got it. Okay, cool. Not all of you are participating. Come on, give me some fingers, participate. Here we go. Okay, all right, nice. Okay, cool. All right, let's start. I'm gonna go through some of these here. Who is the purple guy up in the upper left-hand corner? Among Us, I heard a loud yell, Among Us. How many of you had kids who played Among Us at some point in the last three years? Keep your hand up if you played it with them. It's not enough of you. Every single game they play, I want you playing it with them. What about the uh, one in the middle there, the black background and the white kind of D thing? What is that? Okay, but why is it letter D? Does anybody know? You think it's a music note, which it kind of is, but it's a letter D for a reason. It is own, demonic. <laughs> I'm gonna start using that one. Can I have permission? That's great. It actually stands for doyen because that's the Chinese parent that owns TikTok, right? Now, how far do you wanna run down that conspiracy theory path with me? We'll talk about that later. I had a guy in a talk, I said that, and he goes, right now. I was like, later, sir, later. I could tell he was hungry. I said his like, magic phrase there. But it is, TikTok is, TikTok is a pretty fascinating thing to explore. Now, I'm not gonna propose for a minute that we parent our children like communist China, but I will tell you that China has their version of TikTok, right? Bite dance, they, they have TikTok over there but they do not allow their children to use it for more than 40 minutes a day. And they restrict it based on IP address. And it times out after 40 minutes because they know how addictive it is. And they don't want their children rotting out on it. Yet they've unleashed it on us. We'll talk later. What about the ghost in the upper right-hand corner there? Snapchat. Snapchat, very good. What about the Space Invaders guy on the lower right? Oh, I guess, yeah, your lower left. What is that? I only heard one. What is that? Adults? What? It's Discord. Who said it? Thank you. I know you know it. I know you know it. Friends, Discord is the most popular social media platform that not enough of you know about. Millions and millions of kids. It used to be sort of a gamer platform. They rebranded themselves as social media during COVID and are used by tens of millions of kids. Everything that exists in all the other social media platforms, messaging and pictures and videos, it's all in Discord. You just never heard of it until tonight. What about the red triangle, white triangle, what's that? You too? What about the one next to that? And be real. How many of you know what Be Real is? Raise your hand. 
How many of you are using it like right now? Yeah. Be Real is the most popular app on earth right now. When TikTok and Instagram are trying to copy you, you know you've arrived. Be Real is like what Instagram started out as, which is really ironic. Right now, Instagram is trying to become TikTok, and yet Be Real is just Instagram. It's pictures, just two-way. It's really fascinating. Now, on this screen with these seven apps, one of them is rated age 9 plus in the Apple App Store. Which one is it? Just one. Among Us. Among Us is the only one rated age 9 plus. But did you know that Apple's apps and the ads inside of those apps do not follow the rating of the app? So if you're a 9 plus app, you can have 12 plus and above ads inside of it. Did you know that? So a recommendation that I always make to parents is if there's an app that you've given your children and there's a free version and a paid version, you always pay to remove ads. Always. 99 cents, $1.99, whatever it is. Trust me, it's worth it. Among Us owes me a ton of coin because when they became really popular and they started shipping ads for these 12 plus hypersexualized apps inside of Among Us, I told all of my followers to go upgrade and they all did and Among Us owes me <laughs> to get rid of the ads. But that's a recommendation we always make. If you're going to give an elementary school kid a gaming app, always pay for the upgrade to remove ads, always. There are four apps up there that have an age rating of 12 plus. Seventh grade. Yell them out to me. What are they? There's four. Snapchat is one. TikTok is two. Instagram is three. Not YouTube. Be real. Both Discord and YouTube are rated 17 plus. And yet we hand out YouTube like candy to our kids. That has really nothing to do with my presentation other than to make us think. Protect Young Eyes exists mostly to help redefine app ratings because they're horribly inconsistent and never tell the true story on what's going on inside of these apps. That was the impetus behind my Senate hearing was to go and try to get the app store ratings fixed. All right, let's jump into curiosity. If all your tech conversations are consequence, negativity, and yelling, then what are the chances they'll talk to you when something horrible happens? Zero. This goes back to approaching our kids with curiosity and openness, not condemnation, not approaching every kid who is staring at a smartphone like they're a kid who's screwing up, right? Because the 14-year-old version of you would have been addicted to TikTok too, I guarantee it, right? And so when we have this posture of empathy, I think it helps us react to our children differently because your children will see things online we don't want them to. But if you're curious about why they saw it, curious about how they bumped into it, and you don't freak out, then they'll come back to you when it happens again. All right, this is a QR code. Go ahead and pull out your phones. Unlike church, I'm giving you permission to pull out your phones. Do it right now. If you want, this is a QR code for that blog post that you could pull it up and just have it available there in whatever browser you have, whether it's Safari or Chrome or whatever you use, DuckDuckGo or whatever. But that'll take you directly to it because this is a blog post that I did a lot of research on and explains why young people often get hooked on looking at pornography. Yes. It's not. That is a QR code, sir, for our app that we built that I'll explain at the end. Good question. I know, right? A bunch of little squares inside of a square. Yeah. 
That one specifically goes to our app. The four or six, I think it's six on the back, specifically go to the things that are in the words underneath each of them. And this one specifically goes to that blog post. Okay? But that posture of curiosity is really important. And going back to what I talked about before when I was kind of giving you a hard time about why haven't more of you played among us, one of the things that we say at Protect Young Eyes is to use the seven-day rule. Any app that your children want to use, you have to use it for seven straight days before they do. Understand its levels, its ads, does it get smarter as you play it? And then ask yourself at the end of seven days, would you want your children to experience everything that you just experienced? I don't care if Elsa is on the front of the app. You play it for seven straight days before they do. And that allows you to not only evaluate the app, but it allows you to have curious conversations to ask them about it when they end up playing it. Does that make sense? That seven-day rule is really important. Download it, create a test account, because if these apps were around when you were a teen, you would have done some of the exact same things. That's why curiosity is important. I know that some of you, I'm sorry, I moved this as soon as some of you had your phones out. So if you wanted to take a picture of those things, go for it. I apologize for that. All right, after curiosity, that leads into awesome conversations, talking to our kids about all of the awkward things that nobody talked to you about when you were growing up. Everything, all of it, because I don't know about you, but I got like one talk when I was growing up and I was more confused afterwards. <laughs> and I, my mom was here, I'd say that. We kind of joke about it. She's like, I don't even know how, yeah. Like, mom, you had seven kids. That was the best, you no, I mean, just kidding. But we didn't have those kinds of conversations from, you know, our boomer parents. And honestly, it was often kind of okay. Why? Because there was less risk growing up and we all kind of took care of each other. Neighbors were a lot more involved in my life than neighbors are in my kids' life today. Community was a buffer. It kind of all looked out for each other. And so that was somewhat of an offset for some of the things that my parents didn't talk to me always about. The other thing was that in my childhood, there was this distance that existed between me and horrible things. Like there was often something in terms of physical distance or I had to have certain kinds of friends, if I was gonna radically change my life or see some kind of pornography, I had to run down the road to Matt Carlson's house and look under his mattress. He's gonna be in one of my talks one of these days and he'd be like, dude, you ratted me out. But it was like physically somewhere else and it was this two-dimensional version of something that now we've put in their pocket. Now it can even be on the thing that we have them do homework on. That's a whole different childhood than what we experienced. So we have to enter into conversations about all of the things. Because unlike my childhood where there was this chasm that sometimes existed between me and the stuff that would wreck me, a lot of kids today are toeing the line every day. And we need to buffer some of that with our intentionality and our relationships. And that often brings up this question. All right, Chris, what's the right age to talk about the P word? What's the right age to talk about porn? So go ahead and write down in your notes right now. I want you to write down the age. What do you think is the right age? Come on, write it down. What do you think is the right age to have that conversation? Go for it. Write it down. You got a number written down? Okay, good. Cross it off. Subtract two, and that's the right number. Now, if you wrote three, one is maybe not the right number. Some of you are like, I know where this guy's going. I'm not gonna let him trick me into that. 
The point is, we often approximate when, when we think they're going to need it. And I think that's wrong because I want years of your thoughts and ideas and guidance and practice and teaching flowing through them long before they see that dopamine charged video at someone else's house that you really never wanted them to see. Your one-time porn talk doesn't stand a chance against that experience, okay? It doesn't stand a chance. Now, sometimes when I say that, it often kind of freaks parents out. One of the things that we say is I want 10 before 10. 10 conversations about pornography before age 10. Automatically, some of you are like, oh crap, she's nine and a half. What am I gonna do now? That's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm not trying to like freak you out into like going home and duct taping into a chair and saying nine things. That only helps you feel better. It doesn't help her or him, okay? But I think what often happens is the enemy takes that and makes us feel like that's some big burden or makes us go, I can't do that. Why? I can't do research. I need to make a PowerPoint and they need to clap when I'm done and I can't do it. That's not what I'm talking about. Friends, you would be surprised what qualifies as a porn talk. Like you're driving to school and the radio's playing and you're side by side, shoulder to shoulder, captive audience, they can't go anywhere and you just simply turn down the radio and you look at your son or daughter at the stoplight and you go, you know what, honey? If you ever see anything online that doesn't feel right and you know is wrong, I just want you to know that if you tell me about it, you'll never be in trouble. Turn up the radio and keep driving. That's a porn talk. I want us to drip these conversations into their lives, drip after drip after drip. And a lot like that drip behind my dishwasher that did a lot of damage, little drips at a time, our little drips can do a lot of good positive damage against the words of the enemy, right? Because what I want by that is I want us to rob the enemy of all of his curiosity power over our kids when it comes to some of these topics by making it as normal of a conversation as possible. And that means starting young. Now we've written a lot about that. I'm gonna give you another QR code here, how to talk to a five-year-old about pornography and all kinds of stories and examples of those conversations. Again, if you wanna pull out your phone and scan that QR code, I promise it'll go to something on our website that's not pornographic. (laughs) It's always, you're like, wait a minute, you're pointing at a QR code that's talking about pornography. It's all to our website. We have a really strong search. This is probably important for you to know too. Website translates into, I think, 10 different languages. Also, if you have a a toggle, you have a friend who maybe English isn't their native language, all that's really, really important to me to try to lower that barrier to understanding. But if you scan that QR code and then read that blog post, you'll read some really funny and sometimes embarrassing stories about my own experiences with my kids, where my son was at the kitchen counter. He was five years old at the time and he had a Chromebook up. And he wasn't even in kindergarten yet. And I was like, hey, Blake, you love technology, don't you? Like, yeah, dad, right? He loves it. He always has. He's my youngest. He loves tech. And I was like, Blake, you know what your private parts are, don't you? And he's like, well, yeah. And he's a boy. Of course they do. <laughs> Have you raised a son? Yes. He knows where his private parts are. Okay. Yes, dad, I know what my private parts are. I do. I'm like, all right, good. Blake, if you're ever on the Chromebook, If you're ever at grandma's house watching Netflix, if you're ever on anything connected to the internet and you ever see someone else's private parts, you know what I want you to do? And he's like, what? (laughs) Two things, buddy. I want you to put it down and tell someone. Repeat after me. Put it down, 
Put it down. Tell someone. Tell someone. All right, good. Good. Now, let's practice this. Like, literally, I want you to practice this. Because if all you do is talk about it, it's abstract. Five-year-old brains don't deal with abstract. They need tangible. They need practical. They need tactile. So then what do you do? You say, all right, Blake, I want you to sit there in front of the iPad or the Chromebook there. I'm going to walk into the other room. I'm going to close the door. And I want you to pretend when I yell through the door, ready, I want you to pretend that you saw someone's private parts on the computer and I want you to do exactly what I just taught you to do. And I want him to physically put it down. I want him to walk. I want him to knock on the door and say, mom, I need to talk to you about something. And I want him to tell me, mom, I saw something on the Chromebook. Because if you don't make it that tangible, and just say, hey, if you see something, I want you to tell me when it happens and you're busy or somewhere else, he'll wonder, is it okay to tell mom now? I don't know. I don't want to interrupt her. Do, do I, is, is this, I can't say anything. And then he doesn't. I want you to practice it as often as possible. Make it tangible. And then I want you to define for them who are the someones if you're not around, who are their someones that they could tell? Do they have a list of someones? Mom, dad, big sister, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle. I wanted my kids to have a list of someones that they could talk to. Because what I didn't want to have happen is I didn't want to Blake to be at grandma's house and watching the iPad and Netflix come up and go, ah, grandma, private parts, and have grandma freak out, okay? Because that's not good. It's not good for my mom's heart, but it's also not good for Blake, and here's why. Because Blake loves his grandma. And if Blake, by doing the exact thing that dad taught him to do, causes grandma to be angry or upset, that creates a very confusing dialogue in Blake's brain, and he'll never tell her again. So whoever you put on the someone list, Promise me you'll text them and tell them that they're on the someone list. Now, friends, I want you to answer a question for me. In that five-minute explanation that I just gave around talking to Blake about how to deal with something he sees online, did you ever hear me say the word pornography once? Did you hear it? But does my son Blake know what to do when he sees porn, yes or no? pretty sure. And we reminded him. I reminded him of that conversation over and over again. And then when he was six and he started riding the bus to kindergarten, because I'm telling you, school buses are a huge red zone when it comes to exposures online. I mean, you're talking about kids with unlimited data-driven access, not even the school's Wi-Fi, unsupervised because the one adult is hopefully not watching them and driving. (laughs) So when he was starting to ride the bus, I was like, Blake, listen, if you're on the bus, something I want to tell you. You might hear kids use the word pornography. That's what we call people who don't have their clothes on, who maybe are doing things on the internet. We had talked about all that too, right? And here's what I want you to do. If you ever hear that word, because it's just a word, buddy, I want you to do two things. I want you to come home and I want you to tell someone. He's like, well, dude, I already know that because we'd have been talking about that for a year. And now we had a word to go along with it. So yeah, I want us to start really young with those conversations. Sometimes I joke um, about this one. Don't freak out when I put this up there, but I want us to make porn the norm. Like I want us to talk about it so much 
that it's like a normal thing. Again, I want us to rob the enemy of his curiosity in this word where he weaponizes the curiosity of our children and it comes to some of these topics. And you can do that by talking about it often and you know all the time and just removing all of that curiosity from it, okay? And we tell them to put it down and we tell them to tell someone. And these are some signs here. If you wanted to take a picture of this, based on research, these are some things that if a child exhibits some of these behaviors when it comes to online addiction, these are some of the indicators that they might need professional help. Some things that you should probably look for, okay? We've also talked a lot on our website about tricky people, right? The new stranger danger in the digital age. And you could scan this QR code if you need some talking points around strangers and how to have conversations with people. You could scan that and that'll give you a whole list of phrases that you can use with your kids. Hey, if you ever hear or read this in a chat, I want you to come and tell me. If someone ever asks you this question, I want you to come tell me. These are examples of tricky statements because now we can't teach kids necessarily to identify a stranger by what they look like. When I was young, mom could say, hey, if you go to the park and there's a guy with a puppy and candy with a hoodie and he has a van with no windows, don't talk to him. Because I could recognize a stranger by what he looked like. That doesn't work in the digital age. We have to teach our kids to recognize strangers by what they talk like, the questions they ask. And this blog post can help you do that. All right, I'm gonna skip past this just in the sake of time um, because I want our children to know beyond any doubt that they can land softly with you. That they can. In other words, you go home tonight and I want you to make a list of all the horrible things that you hope never happen to your kids online. And I want you to find out a way to talk to them about all of them. Do they know that they can land softly with you? If you aren't sure, then you have 48 hours to make sure, okay? Because a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I want our gentleness to invite them in. And then finally, we see our posture with them in the digital trust framework as a posture of coaching, not us versus you, but me with you, not just parental controls, but caring controls because they're always going to find a way to beat us. If you want to go toe-to-toe with your kids on parental controls, good luck. They're always going to find a way. And any rule they help us create is a rule that they are more bound to obey, that we invite them in. If you want a really humbling question, ask your kids what the digital rules should be for you. Invite them into these conversations to help. Now, you can have your non-negotiables. I hope that you do no tech in the bedroom or whatever it is. But for rules that they can help you create, amen, and let's do that. Right, I'm pass that one too because I wanna show you the digital trust playbook. This is one of those QR codes in the back of your note-taking guide. If you flip that over, this is a contract slash agreement. I really don't like the phrase contract, right? This digital code of conduct, that's something you've signed with the HR department. Instead, I want us to view this as something that we do with our kids and co-construct with them because it's me with you, me for you, just like a coach. And along with this coaching, we need to wrap that with the right hardware and the right software. So just one or two minutes on these things here. The right hardware often starts with your router. Your router is the most important digital device in your house. Have you hugged your router? Go home, give it some love. The router that we use is the Griffin router. I'll put this QR code up there so you can scan. This is a blog post that we've written all about routers because sometimes it's intimidating. You don't understand it and so you just ignore it. Routers and houses are a lot like people in the tech booth at church. 
They do everything and nobody pays attention to them until that one moment that they don't turn the microphone on and then everybody turns around and like stares at them like you're horrible. Our routers are the same way. They're great until they slow us down. Then we're like, oh, you darn router. Do you know how much your router could help you as a parent? Think of how many things are connected to your router. Your smart TV, which is really just a big smartphone hanging on the wall these days, is connected to your router. Your Chromebook, every gaming device, your Kindle, the tablets, all the things that are Wi-Fi dependent. On the stage right here at Kensington Church, I could turn off the smart TV in our living room through the Griffin app on my phone. But I promised Andrea I wouldn't do that during my talks anymore because it was really disruptive. But I have that kind of discrete control. I also know when every single device tries to use my Wi-Fi. Even if my daughter's friends come over and she gives them our Wi-Fi password, if my router, my home network doesn't recognize the IP address of that device, I get a notification and I have to let them in. That prevents burner phones. Because if you punish your kid by taking their phone away, I am telling you, kids pass around old devices without SIM cards like candy. And if your Wi-Fi network doesn't prevent unrecognized devices from using it, then they're still using their device all night long. You just didn't know their friend gave them an old Android. But my router prevents that, right? So the right hardware. We're also big fans of Gab. I can't say in one breath, don't give your kids smartphones until high school, but also I do want talk, text, and GPS. My 10-year-old, 12-year-old sons, the Gab watch allows me to call them. I am all about knowing where our kids are. I just don't want to give them the burden of portable internet until they're ready or the burden of social media until they're ready. But I absolutely wanna look on my Gab app and when you ride your bike up the speedway to get slushy, I wanna know that you got there. And so the Gab phone is great for that. We love these guys. There are other devices, Pinwheel and Trumi, that are also really good. We've evaluated all of them. All of them are better than handing them an iPhone, trust me. These are some of the hardware solutions that we have recommended. And friends, I'm telling you, I don't recommend anything that I haven't tried on my own guinea pig children. I promise you that I've already tried it on them. The right software is where we'll land here. This is also really important. There's a lot that we could talk about when it comes to software. And there's a lot of different parental controls that are out there. If you have software that works for you right now, great, keep using it. I just tend to believe there are four that tend to work in some combination for most families. That the combination of Griffin and Gab, a kid phone, along with some combination of coveted eyes, screen time, family link, or bark, typically works for most families. These are the parental controls. Obviously, coveted eyes, I worked there. I've used it for years. It helped me get out of porn. I've used it for a long time, but I love it so much. I went to go work for them. It's a great software that encourages Christian accountability, right? I have an adult man who receives a report of my internet activity and I receive his so we can hold each other accountable online because everything in the light is a whole lot better. <laughs> Trust me. Screen time is that purple with the white hourglass there. That's the free factory parental controls that come on every Apple device. Then you have Family Link, which is the kite there. That's free on every Android device. And then Bark, which is great for monitoring social media. Now, if you're seeing all of those and going, Chris, even though you've only given me four, I still don't know which ones to pick, that's fine. Send us a message. We answer those questions through our website, through DMs on social media, 
all the time. Our parents will say, okay, I've got kids that are ages 10, 14, and 16. They like these apps. They have these devices. What do I pick? And I'll go, okay, this and this. They're like, great, thank you. We can help demystify some of that because I know sometimes that can still be an overwhelming decision. Am I right? Sometimes that can be tough. Because in a digital world that is increasingly hostile towards children, our response must be strong and relevant so that you have families that are prepared, balanced, and protected online. The one last thing that I want to point towards here, um, let me go here, is that if you, right now, a lot of you already have your phones out, whether you have a Google Play, if you're Android or the Apple App Store, Gentlemen, you asked me a minute ago about that QR code on the front. We have built an app. We did that during COVID when we were locked out of churches and schools because everything shut down. We built an app that has all of this content in 500 little mini lessons called the Protect app. So you could search Protect Young Eyes in the app store, find and download our app for free. There's premium content that you can upgrade to for $3.99 a month, videos that you can watch with your kids. It's a great deal for a cup of coffee. So check that out, and I'd be honored if you would download that. I mentioned Childhood 2.0, which is a documentary that we were a part of. You can watch it. Sometimes I recommend watching it with your kids, but only after you've watched it first. And then you can follow us on social media. There's things that I'm not real fond of when it comes to social media, but I'm going to use it for the glory of God as long as I can. We are very active on both Instagram and Facebook, and we also have a small but growing YouTube channel. So friends, that is as quickly as I can go through the digital trust framework. There's a lot there. And so I hope something in there was helpful for you. I think, Sam, you're gonna come up and we may have a little bit of time. I don't even know when we're officially supposed to end. Was it eight o'clock or is it till 8.30? Uh, no, uh, the event, I believe, oh, my muted. Uh, the event ends at 8.30, so we're... We're good. We're good. Okay, we good. We got some Q&A time. Wow, we landed there perfectly just I know. like I planned. Pretty solid. Yeah, I can yeah, tell. Yeah. Good. I was. Yeah, I, I had tell. a freak out moment just a minute ago. I'm like, oh my gosh, did Susan say 8 or 8.30? No, I yeah, am in trouble. We're, we're good. This yeah. is good. So it yeah, is. we'll um, yeah, Q&A, man. Um, first of all, can we hear it for Chris? Oh, like, okay. How awesome is that? Right, and cool. the content and the delivery. I didn't fall. Yeah, I did okay. Yeah, I, you stayed out of the Jeremiah realm. it's good. Yeah, that's perfect. Justin, are you going to walk this around so we can... We are recording this. Uh, we're gonna show our TC family and have it available as well. So we wanna have the microphone for the questions. So cool. anyone Thanks, have Justin. any questions for the expert in the suit coat? This guy. Okay, one back here. Hi, Amber, uh, right? Yeah, it's my Hi. wife. Uh-oh. Oh, nice, cool. Hi. Uh-oh. Hot out the gate. She's of, like, ooh, lot I of questions. me. A lot of questions. Yeah, microphone. Yeah, so we were kind of just talking through here about how, when you talk about screen time, and I think it was, I don't know, all throughout the whole thing. Yeah. How do you lump TV into that when you are talking through, like, none for zero to two or limited? Yeah. For, so is TV in, in any of this? or? Yeah, what do you know. do with Coco Melon, man? Where does that fit? Burn it with fire. <laughs> yes. That's what I'm saying. I feel like Coco Melon is just the infant version of TikTok, right? It is. I yes. think yeah. so. Okay. It is. Well, first, let me start by saying that um, are, are TVs, like, better than plopping a blue light iPad in front of our kiddos while they're in the bouncy seat, whatever it is? Yes, I think it's better. But I more often am looking for just other signs of, like, what happens when you turn Coco Melon off? And what happens when you take away Blippi? It's not pretty. 
No. no you know what? Usually. Just speaking of that, I, I'm almost embarrassed to say this. I did a presentation last night at St. Mary's Elementary School over in Royal Oak. And I've had people come up to me from time to time, Sam, and say, hey, you look like somebody, you know, this or that. I sometimes get, uh, I'll say, Edward Norton Jr. I just, yeah. I'm not I can of, see that. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I got last not night? Not American History X, Edward Norton Jr. No, More like no. Fight Club. Might fight, yeah. No offense. That but. one. But the guy comes up to me and goes, dude, has anybody ever said this to you? You kind of remind me of Blippi. You're like, Ooh. And I'm like, I don't know, should I take that as a compliment or not? Shots fired. I know, yeah. yeah. But I'm more looking at that reaction from the kiddos. Is it the same? No. Is it something we still should probably just be observant and look for signals about how are they responding to certain amounts of screen time? Absolutely. Am I trying to keep screen time away from when they are maybe ready for a nap or keep screen time away from certain times of day, depending on their mood or when they're going to sleep? Absolutely. Those are things that are good for us too. I also don't want to treat screen time like a reward because what I don't want is their dopamine reward system to be revved up towards screens. I want screens to be something that we control, that we almost add some amount of unpredictability to in terms of when they get it. So they don't always have an expectation around that. And whenever I finish my breakfast, I get to plop myself in front of a TV and watch this thing because I think that that creates some sometimes unhealthy habits. So those are some of the tenets around that that are, you know, slightly subjective, kind of different child to child, but that I would look for when it comes to young people and TVs. That's great. Great question from a great woman. Thank you for, Thanks, for asking that. Wow, what a great question. <laughs> oh, yeah, here we go. Maria. Hi. Hi. Um, I've been following you online for a long time. Thank oh, you for thank what you. you do. Yeah, great. <laughs> That sounds really that's, creepy out of context. I was going to say, that's like but. starting a conversation like, hey, I've been creeping on you. Uh, Wait a minute. That's like saying someone's intimate detail they shared on Facebook, but they've never shared with you in real life. And then you bring it up in a convo and they're like, how did you know that? Uh, I love it. Oh my gosh, sorry. Um, okay, our oldest is almost 17. He's in 11th grade. Yeah. How do you navigate the, I mean, we're very, we do a lot of these things and we try to be open conversation, but, um, this, right? this age when they're getting older, like you come alongside them. I mean, everything you said, you're still doing, you check their phones and. Well, so maybe, right? I, here's the deal with my daughter. She's 17. She'll be 18 in December. Okay, Now, I've been walking alongside her in tech for a really long time. At age 10, when I showed that hot pink Kindle, that is actually the Kindle I bought her at age 10, that we named Dad's and Lauren's Kindle so that she knew from the very beginning it was co-owned. It had a double selfie of me and Lauren on it because every time she used it, I wanted her to see my face. Hi. <laughs> right? So there's a, a pattern here where Lauren, for the last seven and a half years of her life, knows that I'm involved in tech. Now, that's not every... Family, that's not everybody's 17-year-old. But I just want to say the things I'm about to say have that as context kind of around them. I haven't actually checked Lauren's phone for months, but she knows that I could. And that's very intentional. I, I've told her point blank, I don't want to check your phone. I don't really like checking your phone. Being a police officer over your digital life, amazing daughter of mine, is really stressful and I don't like doing it. So here's how this works. You've proven trustworthy for years now. 
I've loved watching the way you interact online. You get your homework done, you go to sleep when you're supposed to, you're generally pleasant around us other than mood swings in a 17-year-old that I would expect normally, <laughs> right? If all these other things are in place, I might pick your phone up from time to time, but honey, I at some point need to trust that you're going to figure some of this out. Now, if anything ever happens where you just go, I don't know who to talk to, I still want you to know that whether you're 7, 17, or 27, you can come to us, hon. I'll, I'll catch you, I'll hold you. But I'm not gonna check as often. And I've been really open with her and just sort of defining what I am and am not going to do anymore with her device, just trying to treat her more and more like an adult. And so sometimes, every kid's a little bit different, right? I don't wanna try to project dad and Lauren. But you definitely have X, like you have the password. That's right, like, but that's where, I mean, me and Andrea and Lauren all share the same six-digit iPhone passcode. And Grant can't remember a thing, but for Cole and Blake, they also (laughs) know my six-digit passcode. And now they can't just pick up my iPhone, they can't take it out of my pocket, just use it. But if they're in my office and my phone is there and Blake's like, dad, or Cole, he's my magic trick guy. Dad, can I look up a magic trick on YouTube on your phone? I'm like, yeah, here, and I'll hand it to him. And he knows the passcode and he can type it in. It's important to me that he knows that I don't hesitate to hand him my phone. Because I don't want him to feel like he has to hesitate and minimize and close before he gives it to me at some point when he's 15 and gets his own. So I'm sharing just some of these things that are just kind of in our family's digital culture that, you know, when they get to 17, my posture is more like, hey, honey, I'm not gonna always be checking that you mess up, but still know that if you feel like you have, please just come to us. The enemy wants you to feel like you've got to struggle on your own and I walked that path, honey, and I don't ever want you to feel that way and just still have that relational. It pivots more, there's an inverse relationship. When you look at the technical versus relational balance of how we protect our kids, the younger they are, the stronger the technical protections because I don't want my seven-year-old to come and talk to me after he sees porn. I wanna do whatever I can to prevent it technically at all costs with routers and filters and all this stuff. But that starts to change the older that he or she gets. And I lead more and more with the relational and I decrease the technical to the point where Bark isn't even on her phone and I'm just using screen time and she knows that I have access and yet I never want to use it. But I'm leading with the honey, I'm here for you. And that has changed as she has gotten older. So it's just really always being upfront about what my posture is with her so that she can sort of be a part of that with me. Does that help a little bit? Yes, thank yeah, you that's very great. much. That's Sweet. great. Any other questions? We have one down Hi. here in the front. Hello. Okay, so we, this kind of applies, but we both run virtual businesses. Social media is a part of our business. Yeah. And there's no way that he resisted it for a long time. There's no way we can really get around being on social media because that's just where a lot of our audience is. I hear you. Is. Yeah. My fear or worry is more so, I mean, our kids are young enough that they don't have tablets, screens, anything like that. But my fear is protecting our kids from what we do on social media and what they could be exposed to because of like our social or like what people Mm. see of us and get to know our kids or are those kinds of things. I guess that's my, is like, how can we protect them 
mm-hmm. through what we're doing. Is there any part of your question that's around like the pictures? Like, are you, are you asking about, hey, you know, I'm not sure about posting pictures of our family and those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah dude, like, like I have all the, you can't see where I'm at. My location's not shared. Like yeah. none of that is up. Yeah. But yeah, our, I, we don't post our kids in like our feed or anything like that, but they do get shared in a story. Like if we're doing something, you can sure. see our kids in there. So I guess that's more of my fear of like, how much am I actually exposing them? Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's really good. Yeah, good, that helps me a little bit. And I, I have a lot of the same concerns. So you find if, you know, maybe you follow, if you follow us at Protect Young Eyes, I have a private Instagram for just a minute, right? So I have a private Instagram personal account but you'll almost never see pictures of my children in my Protect Young Eyes feed where there's 50,000 other people, right? That, but I have from time to time in something that disappears like stories posted a few things about my kiddos. So I think I'm hearing a lot of very similar cautious practices that I would fully support. And I think you're, from what I've heard, doing a really good job mitigating some of the risks that give me the most concern like the September deluge of photos of kids standing on the stoop of their house holding a chalkboard, which tells three-fourths easy, of the... Easy, easy, I did all that, three, easy. And now you've handed three-fourths of the things that actually enable somebody to steal your identity, your age, and maybe the year of your birthday. I mean, it's very scary how quickly, and we've handed that information about our children to a bunch of people who we kind of know, lightly, Maybe we've accepted followers for years. We don't really know you, but those are the things that it sounds like you're very cognizant of that are easy to get lazy on when you don't think about it. So I don't hear a lot of things that concern me and the things that you've said. There's a reality to running an online business like what you guys do and what I do, right? That it's a tension I feel about, I want them to, feel like a personal part of my brand without knowing too much about my family. And I wrestle with that tension all the time. So I'm right there with you. That's good. I'm going to double dip on that one. Oh, double Um, dip. He's already got the mic. Make it happen. Um, How does the, can you walk me through like the, like an example of the conversation of one of your children wants to download another app, a new app. And like, do they come to you for like, how does that, how, how does downloading or getting a new app on a device of theirs, how does that go? Yeah, especially with the seven day thing. Yeah, so, um, well, none of the app stores are even on, on the devices that they have. So for my kids, again, maybe this is different from family to family, the only way they would even know that an app exists they might want to download is maybe that they heard it from a friend. The other doorway is a lot of apps have ads in the YouTube videos that they have watched because one of them's a, uh, a magic trick guy, another one is a gamer. So Blake is constantly watching live streaming of other people watching or playing Mario Brothers. And there's a, often, right, the algorithm will put ads in there about other gaming apps. So I do get those kinds of questions. And it is then the, the me playing it. And my, my first response to them is always, probably not, but let me take a look at it. No, but there's an intentionality around that because I want my, their first expectation to be, eh, so that I can surprise them maybe with a yes. But it's always only after then I've played it. And only then is it on something that I'm like, I, 
the tablet they have is as much mine as it is theirs, right? So as long as the principles of co-ownership and co-play and those things are really strong, then remember, it's always a risk balance. Those are things that mitigate risk that are more apt to say yes to some of those things because I'm involved in it and I can see it and experience it like them that helps me say yes more often than I would otherwise. So those are just kind of all the things that are sort of wrapped around that situation. Does that help? Yeah, that's good. Awesome. Very good. good. Very good. We have time. We have time for one, maybe two more questions. Anyone? We have one in. We got a handsome guy here in the front who has the. Oh, it's that guy. Yeah. Back. Back here. Did you have a question, Justin? Was there something? Uh, I was just going to say one of the things that I've noticed in following you on that is the fact that a lot of the uh, devices that you suggest also have uh, limited app access. So part of that conversation is because of the ones, like you said, that you don't have the app store available. So that's part of the trigger effect of you can't get it, the only way is through you, and I appreciate that as you've broken that down of why you suggest the Gab phone and other phones that you've talked about. Yeah, good. So it's, it's, it's a built-in process, not just sometimes with the Apple uh, examples, it's so open. It uh, is. And unless you turn off the app store, it's all available. Right, it's a binary, it's either all on or all off, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Good. That's all. Back there in the corner. In the back, yes. Yes. Perfect. Hello. So I just have a quick question. Sure. One of the challenges that I've had is with the modem, right? So connecting the router. I mean, this is a technical question, and I know that may not be, but when you have a router in your house, like AT&T and these types of manufacturers create a modem that don't allow you to have pass-through through the router. Yep. So I, I hope maybe online you have some information that can sure. support us. Because let me tell you what, that is a, it should be easy, but it is not. No. And I don't understand why that is. I mean, I, mean, I won't go into it, but, you know, I challenged myself to try to actually do that. And I ran up against a real barrier. And I tried, I looked online, I searched different places, I went, I got, you know, open DNS, I did all kinds of things in order to enable that, but I, I still wasn't because the root device was challenging me to actually connect the router. So I don't want to go into technical things, but... No, let me give you, know, a, no, okay. that's a, a great one that is important because internet service providers like AT&T, ISPs, there's three different scenarios that you as consumers sometimes run into. Sometimes um, you are given a modem from them, which connects with coax to the wall, that then you can go buy whatever router you want. The AT&T example is what AT&T gives you is their two-wire router that connects to their modem that you have to use. If you're a Uverse family, and there are others, other boutique ISPs in certain parts of the country like Cox and others, they force you to use their router, and then sometimes they smash them together where the router and the modem are one device, and I've had parents go and they take a picture of this, and I'm like, well, show me the cables, and we kind of can figure out what it is then. Those all create, in a space that's already complicated and intimidating, the router space, complexity that just multiplies the complexity, right? This blog post that you'll find on our website, The Ultimate Guide to Routers, it would say to a family in all those scenarios, here are some things you can do. Let me walk just quickly down the AT&T path where they've given you a router that you have to use that really doesn't have a lot of flexibility. You can't do much in the dashboard. It's hard to find where you change the DNS addresses, all that jazz, right? What I would recommend is on that, let me get my, 
Where did I put my remote? It's hiding in my pocket here. I'm going to go back to it. Um, boom, 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 boom. I'm going to go back to this guy right here, okay? So in my house, I have the AX, but this little Griffin Guardian is $79. And I've had up to 13 devices attached to that in a 18 at the time. It was a small 1,800 square foot home and it worked fine. What I say to families who are in an AT&T or other ISP situation where you're forced to use their router, buy that $79 bugger, plug that with a ethernet cable into the back of your two-wire router, and that's the access point for your children. That's the only password to the router that they know. And now I control through my Griffin app all of the parental controls on that, where the adults then use the two-wire router that AT&T gave you, and that's the password for the adults. So that's a way, as they say, to daisy chain the two routers together to get over then some of the ways that AT&T makes it more difficult to then use Griffin's power of parental controls. Does that make sense? So that here, oops, let me go back. That QR code, which is this QR code, actually takes you to that ultimate guide to routers that explains that in other scenarios that depending on your situation might be helpful. Yeah, that's good, man. Take that, AT&T, right? That's right. Take that. that. Take that. How you like them apples? Good. Great hey, questions. I got, I got one more. Yeah, if, one more. We're at 8.30 right now, so yeah. we want to be respectful of time. Yeah, so here was a question. Um, what if you said go earlier? And so you're, you, you, you've given technology to your kids, and you've created access. And now you want to take it back. Yeah, and you can't go <laughs> smash stuff. Right. It was the commitment that everyone made. Yeah, you can't it is. go smash bus. How would you suggest that maybe the stages in which you navigate that? Yeah, yeah. That's good. let me. I'll just give you a couple of quick tips here. The first thing that I would recommend is, you know, every kid's a little bit different, depending on when they're most open to good, honest conversations. Pick that time: car time, meal time, bedtime, whatever it is. Every kid's a little bit different. And you approach them through a posture of, all right, I know I just went to an internet safety talk and I promised Mr. Chris I'm not going to smash yeah. your device and <laughs> I'm going to promise you I'm not going to do that. But honey, here's the honest truth. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I probably didn't prepare you well enough and I probably dropped you into a space that at times has been a little overwhelming and maybe you weren't prepared for that's not your fault. If you've felt certain pressures or you've seen things that maybe you're not sure about, I want you to know that's not your fault. And I'm sorry that I did that. The second thing I want you to know, amazing child of mine, is that if any of those things are true, you can bring them to me and you will never be in trouble. I wanna know because on an island, this stuff is tough. The third thing is, in listening to Mr. Chris or reading some things, there's some stuff that I would like to change in the house. I'm gonna tell you right now that there's a few of them you're not going to like. But I'll be honest with you about all of these things. I'm not just gonna throw it all at you. I'm not gonna start spying on you. I'm not gonna change a bunch. I wanna talk to you about these things and I'll show you them. Honestly, you tell me the stuff that you hate on my list. I can't promise I'll change it but I wanna listen. And I also want your help in maybe adjusting a few of these things, but I'm gonna be honest about the stuff that I really hope we can do. And I just, 
I want our posture, there isn't a perfect script for it, but I just want our posture to be one of humility whenever possible in that situation. Owning as much of what you're feeling you did wrong, like owning as much of that instead of them feeling as though they're in trouble for something. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, that's great. There's different versions of that depending on the age of your kids or what app it is. I'm all about having a few non-negotiables and just being honest about them and going, I really want to do these things. And I know a few of them you might not like, but let's work through this together. That's good. I love it. I love it. Um, so you said you could hang around for a few minutes. You got it. You got to drive back to the west yep. side. So I got two pieces of go. pizza from earlier hanging okay. out in my car waiting Perfect. for me. It's that's good. all. It's, that's it's it. alibi. It's the real that's deal. That's it, yeah. yeah. Um, so if you do have, a, like, like Chris said, a more personal question or uh, something further, he'll be down here hanging out, just down here in the front. Um, let me pray. Uh, but real quick, can we thank Chris again for being here? I mean, this was just absolutely incredible. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. So let's, let's pray together and then, uh, and then we can get out of here. God, thank you so much for this evening. We thank you for Chris and his, his ministry of sharing and enlightening parents to be the best parents that we can be and to guide our children that you've entrusted to us. And so God, as we leave this place, we pray for wisdom and we pray for grace. As we try to navigate these waters and do the best that we possibly can with the tools and the knowledge that we've gained, God, give us wisdom and give us grace. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.